morning, everyone, and welcome to Strategy Cafe. Uh, lovely to see you uh, today. Um, just before we get going, a uh, reminder that all our past leadership webinars are on our YouTube channel. Um, there's over 60 fabulous interviews up there with leaders, uh, discussions on a huge range of business uh, and relational topics. Um, and, you know, and I highly recommend uh, you dive in for ideas and inspiration for your own business and maybe even solutions uh, to problems uh, that you are having. So this morning, um, we're talking about the human dynamic and uh, more specifically the board dynamic. Uh, so that's what is the board for? How does the board work within the system of the company? And then depending on your frame, how do we get the psychology right? Or how do we get the chemistry right? Or in my preferred frame, how do we get the relational work right? Because it's through our relationships that we can change the world. And this is in the remit of great companies and great boards. So to accompany me on this journey into the mystery of effective boards this morning, I am joined at Strategy Cafe uh, by John Hart. Uh, absolutely delighted to have you on uh, the interview this morning. John, please say hello to everyone and give a bit of an intro. Um, good morning, Nick, and uh, thank you very much uh, for the welcome and good morning, everybody. Um, I'm John Hart. I um, live my life basically in the world of boardroom, um, either training and enabling directors, uh, working with boards of directors in terms of uh, helping them become more effective um, or serving as a chair uh, or non-executive director myself. So um, lucky enough to, to serve on several boards. Um, and also bring uh, some experience of what I describe as the human factors of corporate governance. Normally, corporate governance, everyone thinks, is all about rules and regulations and frameworks and policies. Um, we sometimes forget corporate governance and boards populated by people. And uh, the really good boards bring both the rules and the regulations and the legal knowledge, plus the knowledge of the people, the dynamics and the psychology. So uh, really glad to join you this morning, Nick, and, and our other participants. Fabulous. What a great intro. Um, so I thought we'd ask you a super interesting question about your board or boards that you're in or boards that you know about. Uh, so this wonderful question, which I'm just going to launch, um, our board is a place where we can disagree agreeably. Oh, okay, so um, there we go. Thank you, everybody. Let me just share the results. So um, most of you, yeah, so uh, strong, strongly agree or agree, and then uh, a little bit of disagree. So there we go. Just quite interesting. You know, is it a place where we can disagree agreeably? Uh, quite a nice, nice place to start. And um, so before we get going on the topic, John, uh, I know you've got so much to say, and we've got this kind of really interesting slide here about what is the role of the board and a nice blank sheet of board there. I'm going to call it a blank sheet of board. Um, but I wondered first uh, if you could just share with folks your leadership journey and this moment of insight that led you to become um, a board advisor um, and really particularly realization that this topic of integrity um, needed needed your purpose, your intention and your life's work. So how did this happen to you? Thanks, Nick. Um, I, I have a unique qualification, uh, which most people in the boardroom would say, uh, how on earth did I end up in the boardroom? My original training is as a vet. Um, so some might say I'm used to dealing with animals. Um, but uh, my, my journey from being in vet, a vet and working in veterinary practice was through industry, um, then working in financial services. And my, my last role as a CEO, I was running a trustee business where we were responsible for looking after what we might call here widows and orphans, represented persons who have 
their legal and financial affairs dealt with for them. And dealing with some of the shenanigans that I would describe I saw with land and money, you see the very best and the very worst of humanity, but also you could actually see where good governance and integrity around governance could really make a difference to people's lives, uh, their health, their well-being, uh, and their wealth. So that really gave me uh, a passion for good governance. And uh, and that started me on my journey really uh, almost 20 years ago now. So I could really see where governance, for me, it moved from being a very theoretical and esoteric concept to actually this can make a difference to people's lives. And when we think about the whole issue of a board, really thinking about the board and governance as being an asset. Is this something that adds value to the company? Is it something that when an investor looks at your company and say, wow, that board's an asset? The board's in a really good position that they can discuss and resolve some of the unresolvable problems. They've got a yeah. culture where it's it's psychologically safe to have different points of view because yeah. as a as a collective, we're probably going to deliver a better outcome than if we are all comfortably sitting there um, either uh, doing what I call being a get-along and go-along board, where it's the social cohesion is put more strongly uh, as being important than actually good decision-making, or where we have behaviours and ways of working that people don't have the emotional intelligence to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. I love it. Um... I know you want to give a bit of background as to what is the board, but while we're on this topic, so in my mind, and I'm sure in everyone else's minds, you know, all the boards that we uh, connect with and advise and the difficulty they have with this topic of um, being agreeable um, or um, being disagreeable, you know, and how hard it is, right, for people to um, be disagreeable. Um, some people find it quite easy, but uh, for most of us, I think people find mm. it quite hard to to be disagreeable and might even have an expectation that if they have a contrary view or a controversial view or just a different view, you know, they're immediately feeling defensive, um, under pressure. Uh, they might be feeling um, exposed by the need to speak, um, uh, you know, having a spotlight put on them. There's all sorts of perceptual reasons why someone in the position of wanting to speak on a topic that's hard uh, crumbles under the pressure or uh, does it, but does it badly, right? Uh, it's one of those one of those interesting things and when we were chatting you were talking about the sort of the the, the biases that the board has got to get rid of and uh, one of them which i thought was just fascinating was um now what was the language you used i think i'm gonna get it wrong is it fear of conflict yeah fear of conflict um I, I, and i think that there's an element for good board directors serving on a good board of having the courage to bring mm. different points of view mm. and, and actually having the courage to bring those different points of view, knowing that that may bring you into <clears throat> conflict with your fellow directors. And that then demands within the board that we have what I call is a psychological safety, that it's mm -hmm. actually okay to bring different ideas, different points of views. Um, mm -hmm. And we talk about the issue of diversity. Um, you know, we, we look at diversity beyond demographic it's demographic it's skills it's experience it's thinking styles it's circles of influence but that diversity enables us to bring different perspectives different points of view to deliver better decisions better outcomes and better results if we don't have an inclusive environment on our boards or if it's a safe if it's not a safe environment for us to bring those different points of view um, and discuss them 
our, our boards will be less effective than they should be. So it's about creating that the right culture on the board. Different points of view are welcomed. Constructive challenge is good. It's there's a courage about being here to do the best thing for the company, even if that might mean that it, for me personally, or on an issue that I, I feel strongly about, uh, I may have to concede and build away from my single point of view to a stronger collective wisdom around the board table. Amazing. And this idea of fear of conflict is just one of those um, problems, um, barriers, biases, <laughs> etc and we'll come back on to that so look i'm i should um give you the, the control back and uh you've got this lovely um blank piece of board here so what's this slide uh here for john what so are you going to tell us here? just just to get us to think about the role of the board uh, here we are mm -hmm. 21st century um and we go back to the origin of the concept of the role of the board the members of the board people who sat around the board were those company officers who had the authority to affix the seal of the company to document. So we're going back into the 14th and 15th century. They were the individuals who had the authority to enter into contracts and obligations for a company. We move to the next slide. <clears throat> the, the first time we hear the concept of a company uh, in the Anglo-Saxon world is a Dutch East India company set up in 1598. Um, and we had a group of owners who put together their money to share the risk and share the return. And they appointed as their agents what was called a court of directors or a board of directors. And that board of directors had the responsibility for oversight of management, accountability back to the shareholders and owners, but also the future policy and direction of the company. This construct is the construct that here we are in 2024, our boards work within. The board of directors are the agents of the shareholders or the owners, and that separation of roles between ownership, direction, and management. And one of the challenges uh, for many businesses is that we can often see ourselves in a situation where there's a lack of role clarity. The same people are owners as well as directors, as well as being managers. And the role of the board is different to management. If there's confusion about the role, it's going to cause difficulty and the board will become less effective. But what I want us to think about here is this is the system that we work in. And whenever we think about system, we should always think, what are the rules of the system? What are the things that make this system work? What are the things that make it less effective? And when we think about your board or a board becoming an asset, which is going to make a company more attractive, more valuable, more effective, Three really strong currencies really need to be in place here or else the system breaks down. The first is honesty. But there's honesty between the management and the board, between the board and the owners. And if we look at the UK post office scandal that's had the headlines over the last few weeks, terrible human tragedy. But question being asked there was who was being honest with whom in terms of, of dealing with that. So honesty is the first thing. Uh, the second one that comes through um, really, really strongly uh, is there must be trust. Uh, do the board of directors trust management? Do the owners trust the board? The owners don't trust the board, the system will break down. Or if the directors don't feel they're trusted by the owners, the system will break down. And then um, the last currency that we have is a whole critical one of respect. 
uh, is there respect between the shareholders and directors, between the directors and managers, and vice versa? So really want you to think about this system. Have we got those currencies in place in our ways of working? Trust, honesty, and respect. Because if any one of them in our boards is missing, or between our board and shareholders, or between our directors and managers, then the system will break down. And I would argue every single corporate governance failure, uh, from patisserie Valerie through Carillion, right through to what we're seeing in, in the post office at the moment, uh, every single one of them, at least one of those currencies has broken down. It's a, it's a beautiful um, description and a model. And when we were chatting about it, John, I was just super interested in your use of the word currencies. I've not heard that particular angle on it before. So I would have thought in terms of values or qualities, um, you know, or principles, you know, or, you know, I really like to think about trust, for example, as an emotion, I think is an odd, an odd way of framing it, but you think about it for a minute, minute in, when you're in distru distrust, you're feeling very distorted and uh, very, um, you know, um, yeah, um, you know, uh, your, your problems are all out of proportion and uh, there's a lot of anxiety running through your system. So. Trust is like the obverse of distrust. And so it gives you this idea that it's a sort of uh, a safety zone in the emotional wheel. So, but currencies is an interesting, right? Because currencies for me just go straight to wealth. And so this idea that respect is a wealth, you know, and that um, trust is a wealth and that honesty is a wealth is quite interesting. So why did you pick currency? I picked currency, um, I picked currency due to a, a board matter we were dealing with. Board had fallen out of love, for want of a better term, with their CEO. And um, often what we work with in, in this scenario quite regularly, and quite often what's happened is the relationship's broken down, trust has been eroded. Um, and I remember one of the directors and the chair of the board saying to me, there's a deficit of trust. Yeah. And that language of deficit of trust versus surplus or surfeit of trust um, yeah. made me think about trust in, in the form of a currency. And that, that's, that was the origin of the concept of currency. Um, and often we'll hear people say, we've, we've got some reserves in, in, in terms of trust here that we can yeah. call upon. Um, so yeah. that's, that gave me the, the sense of, of moving this away from a value, something that's important to us, to actually um, dealing with this in, in an in the sense of being a currency i also found sometimes in financial services um broad generalization but being able to relate behaviors to a concept of currency resonated with that group more strongly than just saying values yeah oh i i completely get that um the other aspect of currency that i really like um and um on your slide here i'm going to relate it to the um sort of underplayed arrows rather than the overplayed boxes mm -hmm. so you kind of uh, reframe the perception of that slide with there are the two arrows that we haven't really talked about um in glancing in glancing term right um the idea of currency is um it, I, so it's got two things classically right one one is that um money is a promise to pay so really money um is an iou so i really love the idea uh iou respect you know iou trust Mm. I owe you honesty, right? So I really like that. That kind of works for me. Um, and then this other idea of uh, of money or currency is it's a means of exchange. And so it's inherently uh, recording the moment of exchange. 
So it is it is the record of communication. I'd like to put it that way. Like currency is the phenomena of communication. It's the means of exchange. Um, and so um, when you look at this, these three boxes, uh, one of the things we're talking about in terms of having a great board is that you create confidence, right? So maybe speak to that for me a little bit. How do these currencies you know, relationally help boards build confidence? So uh, a really, really good point, Nick, that the, the aspect of a board, is the board providing confidence and assurance? Does the board add value to the company or is the board actually putting that at risk? And the sort of things we see in, in reliable boards that create a, a sense of confidence, A, a is they are reliable. Um, they do their work and they do it well. Um, they make good decisions. And I, I often argue the legacy of a board is judged by the quality of the decisions it makes. So really thinking about our decision-making processes, our ways of, of dealing with those individual, collective, ethical um, biases that can sometimes get in the way of good decision-making. Um, a good board that generates confidence, creates a sense of confidence. There's a lot of not, there is not a lot of noise. There's not yeah. a lot of background noise. And and also I always suggest that building confidence is working on a no surprises basis. Can I just and, add in here? So like um if that's like a communication, a nice way to think about it uh, is to think about a radio channel. Now those people who are brought up in the digital age won't know about dialing. Uh, but um, uh, so for me, you know, I was brought up with a dial and you had to find a channel um, and you get noise, 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 right? And you can't hear the communication and then suddenly you tune in and you get that pure signal, right? And that's it's a nice, clear signal with no noise. And, and I think that, that that's a, a great analogy. Uh, and I think the, la the last aspect I'd, I'd really draw out, uh, good boards that create a sense of confidence, they're credible. Uh, you look at the board and you say, this is this is a board I would like to hire. This is a board I would like to have running my business from the perspective of, of the governance role of the board in terms of the, the oversight and accountability, the strategy and policy. But also that no surprises element is so critical. Um, and I always say that surprises are for, are for infatuated lovers and children. Um, and we should work on a no surprises basis in the boardroom. And as managers working with a board, as owners, um, the whole system here demands no surprises. Um, the sad reality is once there's been a, a surprise, you can almost smell the trust evaporating. People start to question. They start to say, what else haven't we been told? Um, and if you're not careful, the dynamics can become defensive. Um, and almost inquisitional. Um, and that, that really causes the system to break down because people start to doubt, they lose confidence, and they then question uh, what have they not been told. So um, we talk about this a lot, right? In, in the marketplace, we talk about confidence, you know, uh, is, you know um, is, is UK PLC confident right now or is it not? You know, so, um, and it relates just so perfectly to the collective human dynamic. So we're really talking about words which are quite emotional um and i would say uh, to your point about creating surprise uh, you just push people into this um uh domain of uncertainty ambiguity uncertainty not sure you know and uh, so what we would say is that the moment you push somebody into uncertainty uh all their fears jump out right because 
It could be anything. So all their fears jump out and say, is it this fear? Is it this fear? Is it this fear? So uh, one of the reasons <clears throat> that um, creating confidence is so important is you avoid, you avoid generating ambiguity and uncertainty. Um, and uh, um, the fears that come with that are 10 times more memorable than all the boring moments that went before, right? So uh, it's just very hard to get overcome, uh, you know, an, an unexpected outcome. We'll remember it forever. Absolutely. And I think the, just pushing that a little bit further, Nick, I think as boards, we have to navigate through ambiguity and uncertainty. Um, we think of the, uh, the complexity of the world that we live in. It's demanding courage. It's demanding uh, insight. It's demanding adaptability uh, in terms of the way that we deal with business and other challenges. We're in a, in the, the world is uncertain and will continue to be uncertain. But a board that builds confidence, a board that actually people trust, that it, they will navigate through uncertainty as well as they can. They, they will discuss and resolve some of the most unresolvable problems. And the way they do that um, is, is to create the space for that, those conversations and decisions, and, and to do that in a way where there's a lack of fear, there's a courage uh, to move forward and actually say, let's address this. Uh, let's work on this rather than avoid it. So um, um, thank you very much. It's a, a great, great uh, background to to boards. And I know we've got another slide, uh, this one here coming up about your kind of four sites, but I want to jump on a little bit if it's okay with you and just get stuck into the difficulty of that as opposed to, because it sounds great. Um, yeah, we've, got our, we've got our currencies, we've got our, we've got our purpose, it's all untangled, you know, here we are together. Great, magic wand, we're all now perfect board. Um, uh, but you and I both know, you know, that's not the reality. Um, and uh, the, there's, um, there's a slight build here. Hang on, just let me get to the next one. My apologies for this. There we go. It's a kind, of, kind of, I don't know what the framing of this is. They look, they look serious. These guys. Um, they look like they're having a, um, a, 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 an agreeable disagreement of some sort. Or, nevertheless, the topic is important to them. I just want to take it in a slightly different direction, right? So, um, okay, I can have honesty. I can have trust. I can have respect. I can give that to you, right? So. Um, uh, this idea of psychological safety uh, is really interesting to me. I know there's lots of work on it, and there's lots of people who've written about it and how it works. Um, you know, I have a kind of really practical approach to it. Which I'd just like to say, say that, like, um, being in a business environment is not safe. Um, people get fired all the time. Uh, people make mistakes all the time. Uh, there are consequences to your actions. Like, it's just um, kind of a weird fantasy to say you can have this idea of safety. It's just not safe, and um, you have to live with that. You have to live with the difficulty of the decisions you're facing. Um, and uh, one thing I like to sort of say to people when they get on the board is you're there for a reason, right? You're, 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 not, you're not just on the board, I'm like, well done you. Uh, you're there for a reason. Now the work starts. Um, and um, it's not just you, right? So it's you and it's everybody else as an individual, but it's also you and everyone else as a set of relationships. And those relationships cut, cut in many ways. They cut across whether we like, dislike each other, like whether our interpersonal chemistry is okay, whether we communicate, don't communicate, whether you understand me when I'm talking and whether I leap ahead and lose you or... You know, whether I talk to you metaphorically or, you know, there's a whole thing there going on. Uh, there's a roles like, you know, you've got the role of the CEO. Um, Jim's got the role of the CFO. Uh, you know, Sally's the COO and they're holding really major components of the company and representing them. So there's this representational dynamic going on. And then, of course, you've got to bring it together and give confidence to the shareholders and consistency to your management. Team, right? So it's a complicated old place. 
And I feel like I want to say that oodles of trust, uh, honesty and respect don't always cut it. Uh, sometimes, you know, with all good intentions and, um, and purposeful safety, uh, the pressures of the board are going to just pull you and push you in all sorts of difficult places and you could just fall out. So just interested to take your view on, you know, how do you manage that dynamic with this sort of concept? So, so good question, Nick. I think um, I think one of the elements of our thinking around boards is we need to move our mindset from tenure to one of contribution. And in the same way that uh, British Airways or EasyJet will look at the cost proceed versus the revenue proceed, I'd like us to think about every board seat as having a cost. Yeah. And every director needs to contribute so that their contribution exceeds their cost. That's a very different way of thinking, um, uh, particularly for a generation of directors that have been very focused on, I'm on the board and I've arrived, rather than actually, uh, you're on the board and your work has now started, um, which is, is a very, very different way of looking at things. I think some of those drivers of board affections come through really strongly. Um, so does, does the board actually understand its role? Really, really important. Um, mm -hmm. secondly, asking ourselves around the composition, do we have the right people, the right skills, the right attitudes sitting around the board table? Uh, cause sometimes mm -hmm. our composition isn't set up to add value. Um, and a particular focus on the role of the chair, they have such a critical facilitative role mm -hmm. in enabling the board to be effective in mm -hmm. catalyzing that psychological safety. Um, and in creating an inclusive culture on the board where everyone, irrespective of their demographics, their skills, their experience, their way of thinking, their circles of influence or status, feels welcome, wanted, valued, needed and respected. Um, that's, that's a big work. That's a big behavior change. It's the, the old adage that diversity without inclusion is an illusion. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have on so many of our boards is we, we talk about diversity, but it doesn't go beyond the veneer. And um, actually creating that inclusive environment. Also need to think about our board processes. How are they enabling the board to, to do its work? Even simple things like designing the agenda, creating space and time for the fluid discussions that often add a lot of value. Um, so many boards are over agenda. Uh, they don't have time uh, or their papers uh, are, are not effective or we have the old adage that power corrupts and PowerPoint corrupts. Absolutely. And we never actually have the time to have the discussions we need to have. Um, then you talk about the human factors of the culture and the relationships and the dynamics. And we can see that those six drivers of role clarity, composition processes, relationships, culture and dynamics come together in this system to make a board more or less effective. How how influential, this is picking up a question that's coming in from, from Wanda, how influential do you um, think a good board is or a bad board is in the culture? I mean, the post office uh, scandal, the Fujitsu scandal, I mean, so many, right? But that just being in everyone's eyes. I feel like the answer here is obvious, but what do you think about this idea of the board leading the culture or the culture leading the board? Which way round? Is there... um, my, my, my view is that the board leads to culture. And it's it's been very interesting in the wake of the global financial crisis 
lots and lots of legislation. But interesting when you talk to the legislators and the regulators, that's actually the legislation isn't going to reduce the probability of another crisis. Um, we're really depending on culture. And when we think about culture, I think the board's three big things come through very strongly. First of all, the most powerful lever that the board has in terms of culture is the sort of CEO you appoint, you retain, or you remove. So that's, and if there's one thing a board has to get right, it's the CEO. Second side of it is board is responsible for setting uh, and gaining alignment in terms of the rewards and the behaviors. We will get the behavior we reward. So are those rewards in accordance with our values, in accordance with the behaviors we want to see? The buck stops the board. And I think the third one, which are, I think board members are waking up to now more strongly is a really, really key role of the board in terms of culture is they should reflect and demonstrate the culture. Let me give you an example. I was working with a biotech business yesterday can't name names, but the classic conversation around the board table is we need need more innovation. We need to people bringing new ideas. And I raised a question with them. I said, look, last time someone brought a new idea to your board, it was a career limiting step. So a yeah. classic example where the culture of the board is it has to reflect and demonstrate the desired culture that we're talking about. There can't be mm -hmm. a distance there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Really interesting. So when, uh, in your experience, you sort of get into, and I know you do this, uh, John, you know, you get, um, um, so let's say it's a family business. Um, uh, hopefully we've got a politically neutral chair between the factions of the family, right? So hopefully we've got a politically neutral chair for this family mm -hmm. business. So the chair is not playing one side off the other, right? Um, which can often happen. And it kind of just emphasizes your point about the absolutely critical role of a good chair. Um, and uh, but, you know, uh, so let's take one of your companies where actually uh, it is pretty disagreeable. Um, uh, maybe there is honesty. Maybe there is uh, trust. Maybe there is respect. But nevertheless, the thing, things are hard. Uh, maybe things are misunderstood. Um, how do you get them to um, talk that out, resolve that? What, what's the process that gets the board working well? Um, without without going into great detail, I think the first it starts very much with trying to gain insight, really trying to understand each of the participants as individuals, what's important to them, um, recognize that we as human beings all come to a board or involvement with the board, some of us with baggage, um, and sometimes that baggage is is contains valuable assets, sometimes it's dragging us down but actually recognizing what are those issues and mm -hmm. what are the things that are important. Um, also, I, I know this sounds esoteric, but really trying to think at the subconscious level, what, what, what's important to the people? What do they value? What are their mm -hmm. beliefs? What are the assumptions? Um, and that's the starting point to actually sit. I was describing the old Kobe principle, seek first to understand, then to be understood, to actually yeah. understand the situation. Um, and and some, I'll give an example of one particular business at the moment where we're working with a chair who I, I described that chair as the compromise candidate. The, mm -hmm. um, the, the, all three groups, all three family groups involved in the business can tolerate the chair and mm -hmm. view the chair as impartial. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and that allows the chair to do their job that because they are almost equally um crowned upon by members of the the different factions they have a degree of respect in that they're not seen as being party to to one group or another um yeah. but the actually gaining insight and i think the other aspect often uh, and it's, it's more sometimes more difficult in other cultures than the uk culture but actually understanding where does the power lie in the system mm-hmm. and so much of dynamics is in relation to power and how power manifests itself so thinking mm-hmm. in the board, how, how is power lying here? How is it? How is it manifesting? Mm-hmm. It, it it could be as simple as one, one board working with recently, where the the chair of the board sits at the top of the table. To his right hand side is a CEO. To his left hand side is the company secretary, and then is a long table with the most senior directors closest to the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and chair took great pleasure in telling me, you know, I, I, I sit at, at the high table, and you know, that that's power in the boot in the boardroom. Um, we had great fun when we uh, we we came back to uh, to that boardroom a few months later and worked with HR and changed it from a long boardroom table to a round table, um, oh. and fundamentally just changing the dynamics to make everybody feel that we'd reset things. Just just change the dynamics in a very gentle way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beautiful ideas. Um, so power is such an interesting question, right? Um, I don't know. I wonder how you feel about this um, uh, kind of answer to where is the power? You know, it, it's very contextual in my experience, but um, it's, it's somewhat to do with your um, experience or your smarts. You know, your ability to respond with good judgment to almost any context. Um, so that that's a that's an important factor, but I don't feel like that's the weighty factor. The weighty factor in power for me, if you've got that, right? If you've got that uh experience that smarts um is um your emotional flexibility uh, and maybe your ability to tolerate discomfort more than the rest uh so someone who can step into their power is someone who's pretty good at sitting solidly representing no when everyone else is trying to make it a yes and they just do it with presence mm-hmm. um something about that um that person at that moment you know they have uh you'd say they have command um like they're under control but in their power and you it's you it's tangible right it's like electric in the atmosphere um between the humans um you know what i mean and uh you know maybe maybe the charisma type thing yeah it's it's almost um this you're looking at someone you're saying this is their moment they're stepping up Mm-hmm. and they're setting the pace mm-hmm. now, they may do it in a way which is very individual but you you see the, the room look at them mm-hmm. and 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 as human beings we recognize uh, the 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 power that has just expressed itself mm-hmm. it may not be necessarily the most powerful person by status but at this moment they are the ones that are, are for one of a better term holding the floor yeah and then to take your lovely idea of, okay, now you're on the board, well done you. Um, uh, what are you going to do with that? Uh, so uh, we have this opposite dynamic, right? So uh, let's say we've got that uh, grandee, uh, whoever he or she is, the person with the power, um, um, uh, the alpha. Um, uh, how do you, not the alpha, um, start to learn how to counterbalance that power, right? And uh, you know, when you see that coming with bias or you think actually that's a mistake, 
you know, how do you bring uh, yourself into the it's the pose just to also be known? Uh, I, I think the, the power of questioning is so important. Um, and I, I often remark, I, I look at children, how open they are in terms of questioning. And as we mature, I think our questioning gets more and more closed. Um, and, and so many boards, the quality of questioning um, it is, is their way of really opening things up. If they've got good questioning and it's a safe place to question, um, it can be incredibly powerful. When you have that sort of legacy director on the board, I, one, I often ask them on an individual basis and then on, on a collective basis about the whole concept of legacy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and the language I'll use is if, if we were to talk in three years' time and people have said, no, you've made a really great contribution to the board, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And um, that is a powerful way of actually a, sending a message to the board member that it's about contribution, not tenure. Um, yeah. Secondly, it's also a way sometimes we, we talked about the four lines of sight. Um, boards can gravitate towards oversight and feel that's all they're there to do. When yeah. actually oversight will keep you in business, but that combination of foresight and insight is where we deliver value. Um, and we look at the world we're living in, transformational technologies, business models changing. Uh, if we're simply in oversight mode, we'll go out of business very fast. Um, we've got to be thinking about foresight and insight, but also hindsight, learning from our mistakes. Yeah, let's let's just um, segue back to this. So do you want to just lead us through this? this yeah. I love this model, you know, four views. Yeah, so this this is, a for, for the, everyone on the call here, this is just a, a really good way, quick, quick check. When you look at your board, um, the work of the board is based on four lines of sight. Most boards will gravitate purely to oversight, and they think their job's all about oversight. And the reality is <clears throat> it keeps a roof over the business, keeps us compliant, but actually is not going to create value. Um, we think about foresight. What's coming down the line? We think of AI, technology, demographic. What are those forces of change? Um, and how do we get access to that sort of thinking in our boardrooms? It may be bringing someone in from a parallel industry. It, it may be bringing in uh, really good strategy facilitators who can just give us a picture of the future that we can say, this is relevant to us and this is less so. There's the element of insight, and that's really understanding the business, understanding the sector, understanding the market dynamics. And it's one of the reasons why there's a push against directors that have too many board roles because people are saying, how, how, how can you have insight when you're spread so thin? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth area, which we often forget and we'll often have corporate purges of one type or another and we lose a huge amount of corporate knowledge, is boards also have that element of hindsight. What have we learned? How do we make sure we don't fall into the same trap or make the same mistake again? So really quick, Quick check for, you, for any of you working on or with or for a board, how much of your board time and agendas are spent in those four areas? And does that feel right, given where your organization is at the moment, the forces of change you're navigating through? Um, and remember, oversight is, is the safe space to go because there's available data. Uh, it's what we all used to do as managers before we went on to boards. Um, and there's also the fear of something going wrong on our watch. Uh, that will drive us towards that. So really thinking about those four lines of sight, really, really important 
And um, I know we're, we're coming close to our, our time, but we live in a world of vision, uh, oh, sorry, of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, the famous VUCA world. Uh, I would say we need to become VUCA boards. We need to have vision. We need to demonstrate understanding. We need to work in a courageous way. And we need to be agile. Very good. Thank you very much. So we are uh, running up to the close of this, um, but um, those of you listening will have picked up just from these bits of conversation with John, um, you know, the complexity of being uh, on a board, um, you know, how many um, vectors kind of pass through us as we set into that space, complexity of being a board and uh, being an entity in itself, like with an emergent um, set of obligations to communicate with confidence in different directions about you know, all the dynamic matters that uh, land on the board table, all the most difficult things, hopefully, you know, all the most unresolvable problems. Um, and we've touched on this idea today in the conversation, which I think has been brilliant. Um, how does the board add value? And this idea that uh, the board should be able to go to different spaces, dimensions of the company's life and its needs, find the difficult problems and spend the time resolving the most unresolvable things. And you know, if they're the right problems and you have the right kind of dynamic and the right kind of questions, I feel like that's where the board can just add amazing value to the business model and start to shift it. Um, so I just think it's been a wonderful conversation. I want to bring everyone on, if you can stay on for a little bit, give you a chance just to talk to John. Um, there's so many topics that we haven't talked about today, like how do you find these people? You know, how do you recruit for them? When you got a bad end, what do you do about that? Like there's a, there's a gazillion places we could go mm -hmm. for 10 minutes if people want to. So um, if it's okay, I'm just going to wrap up with uh, a note uh, notice board for our next session. Then I'm going to turn off the recording of the mic so we can go Chatham House. I'll open your mics up and you're all welcome to come on and just ask John a question or so. So next time up um, on the 29th of February, uh, my wonderful colleague, Wanda, um, is going to be interviewing David Levine uh, with the topic, How to Raise Money Like a Pro by a Pro. Uh, so uh, David is the principal at Manchester Angels and CEO of Glen Luna Ventures. Um, he's done loads in that space. Um, uh, really interesting to talk about that kind of early stage landscape, which is just full of opportunity for everybody. It should be an amazing chat. Uh, so mark it in your diary and um, look forward to seeing you uh, uh, on the 29th of February. Uh, thank you, um, everyone, for coming.